the 12th of November 1983, Everton beat Nottingham Forest 1-0 at Goodison Park. Alan Irvine and Andy King were in the team. Mark Higgins partnered Kevin Ratcliffe at the back and new signing Andy Gray played up top. He didn't score the goal, Adrian Heath did, and it did take a bit more time for Howard Kendall to find a regular winning formula, but Andy Gray's Everton career was underway. He couldn't have dreamt what was coming. Stephen, knocked on for Andy Gray. Oh, what a magnificent strike by Andy Gray. As good a goal as you wish to see. And that silence, Leicester. Breno, what did we know about Andy Gray? Oh, we knew quite a bit because he was a very, very high-profile striker. He was exciting. We knew he had been an absolutely magnificent centre-forward for Aston Villa, where he was uh, the first player to win the young player and the player's player of the year in the same season. Uh, Played against us at Wembley in 77 in the League Cup final. He got injured and didn't play in the subsequent games. Um, And then signed for Wolves for a ridiculous sum of money, I think one and a half million. But suffered injuries uh, during his time at Wolves scored a goal at the Cup final which yeah, he did frequently yeah. throughout his career um, but then we got him on the cheap at 250 grand because he'd suffered from injuries so it was a bit of a gamble by Howard but it was an exciting gamble and you just can't under, you can't exaggerate more how much he did to Everton Football Club yeah. in his short time there his enthusiasm his quality the confidence he gave other players we all had our favourites from that mid-80s team, but Andy Gray was like a, a shining beacon in that team. Adored the man, still do. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the Steve Daly money, wasn't it, that, uh, that Wolves spent <laughs> on Andy Gray? The money that they inexplicably got from Manchester City. We got Andy Gray on the cheap. Were there any other options for how yeah, we Yeah, well, the, the, the Andy had an option, wasn't it? One of them, he thought he was going to Man United at one stage. Right. And um, Ron Ackerton went to see Andy's... Surgeon who actually was based in Manchester and said, How many do you play us 35 games a season? And the surgeon said, You'd be lucky to get 15. <laughs> <laughs> so Ron pulled the plug. But when it came to Everton, yeah, to be looked at Paul Mariner at Ipswich, he was a fine striker, but he was too expensive. Glenn Cockrell of Lincoln. That's um, a strange one. Yeah, he won, it was 200,000 he wanted, and Howard didn't didn't fancy it. And Glenn had a good career at like, he played for Southampton, didn't he? We had the memorable flirtation, which is a podcast in itself, about the Brazilian striker Nunes, if you recall, who um, I think that sort of got blocked through bureaucratic reasons because it was so difficult to bring overseas players in at the time. Of course, Howard memorably said he was alarmed to see when he saw a video of him playing in gloves (laughs) in Brazil. (laughs) And the other one, which Howard certainly looked at, was Bob Latchford. You know, he was, I think it was a conference here yeah, at the time, yeah. and, and Bob fitted the, you know, whatever wanted an experienced big striker perfectly. And but Howard thought it probably wasn't right having Bob had only left a couple of years before, and I think that was fair enough. So he did have a few options, and I think he was left then with Andy. Had Andy been linked with us before? He had, yeah, he'd been, been at Dundee in, in the mid 70s with Walter Smith, actually, and Billy Bing was the other manager, and I think Billy. Billy saw him a few times and wanted to sign him, but you know it was so difficult, and Andy ended up going to Villa, I think, in, in 75. So he had, he had been linked a couple of times with us before. Well, we eventually got our man, and one time sports editor of the Liverpool Echo, Ken Rogers, was the man who broke the news that Andy Gray was poised to sign for Everton. But Ken found out in a rather unusual manner. I used to hate transfer deadline day. It was the one day when the editor would call you into the office if you missed the big transfer story, or one of the nationals got a transfer story ahead of you, and you get a bit of a dressing down. Why didn't we get this? Because we were expected to get everything. And it just doesn't happen like that. Um, but, you know, I always tell young journalists today, it does, you know, having a good contacts book is a fantastic thing to have. But it's sometimes it's not the most important thing. And I can remember on the day 
um, picking up the phone one day in the Echo office, and there was there was a fan, and he said, um, he said, excuse me, he said, uh, are Everton signing Andy Gray today? Be no talk about it, nothing at all. And I said, why? He said, I've just seen somebody who looks just like him buying a newspaper in Goodison Road, opposite the main entrance of Goodison. And I thought, I said, okay, thank you. So I rang up um, Jim Greenwood. He was my main contact for things like that. And then um, he was the secretary. And I had this thing with Jim that if he couldn't confirm something, he'd just be silent on the phone. And I said, Jim, you're not signing Andy Gray today, are you? And there's complete silence on the phone. I said, thank you, Jim. <laughs> so I rang my opposite number, you know, in the Midlands. And um, uh, I said, have you heard? And he, he hadn't heard either. And so that was so. There was a, a great scoop that day, and a man who changed the fortune, helped change the fortunes of Everton Football Club in the eighties, when you know Everton nearly went down the pan. Well, I caught up with Andy Gray himself recently at, of all places, our new stadium site on the banks of the River Mersey. I started by asking him if he knew what he was getting into when he first joined Everton, because obviously he played at Goodison Park before. I had, yeah, I had played and scored for Villa. At Goodison Park, yeah. Listen, everybody knew about Everton uh, back in the 80s there because of, you know, the history that was there. And as I set a forward, it was obviously one of the clubs where the number nine was renowned and highly thought of. So, uh, yeah, of course I did. You know, if you're a football fan, you couldn't fail to know about Everton back in the 80s, that's for sure. When you signed for Everton Football Club, what, what was your own personal remit? You, you, you couldn't have signed for Everton that time in the autumn of 1983 and think, right, I'm going to win the league in the cup. Here. No, no, I didn't. I, I was I was trying to resurrect a career that, if I'm being honest with you, my last couple of years at Wolves weren't good. Um, we had been relegated, promoted, and looked like getting relegated again. And my own form was was indifferent. And I, you know, sometimes you you worry, you wonder whether you can still do it. You wonder if it's you or is it the teams you're playing in, and and my confidence had dropped uh, quite a bit, and People I wasn't sure. Surprised at that, weren't they? Aye, and I wasn't sure that that, uh, that my career wasn't over and that my best days were were past, and that I was just going to see out the rest of my career. I didn't know that, but I knew I needed to change. I knew I needed to get away from Wolves. So when Howard came in um, with that offer, I I, I jumped at it. I jumped at it and I, that, that was me knowing that Everton were what fourth bottom of the league fifth bottom mm. of the league at the time um, but I just knew I needed a change and I just it just felt right when I met Howard liked him a lot obviously and he's a man that you did like a lot when you met him and and, and and that was it it was an easy decision for me things didn't quite go our way at first I mean you played in the game against Norwich we got beat 2-0 at yeah. Goodison there were 14,000 people there tough times I played in the game against Coventry when it was nil-nil and there was less than 14,000 there and we got booed off the pitch, quite rightly so. No, that, those, those first four or five weeks were difficult. Um, after the good start, we beat Forrest on my debut. Um, so that was good, but then nothing really happened and Howard was coming under increasing pressure from outside. Not from inside, but from outside that, that, that maybe he'd got it wrong. Um, but something suddenly clicked he he started making the right decisions he settled on a team that was good that became very good he settled on a goalkeeper which I think was you know it was Jim Arnold one beat Neville the next Jim Neville Jim Neville settled on Neville again another right decision Um, and the young boys started to believe in themselves started to believe they were good enough you know 
You helped in that process, didn't yeah, you? I think me and Reedy helped. I think I would be wrong to say that that, that, that was down to me. You know, Reedy, we had two great pros, old pros in those days, me and Reedy. I loved Reedy. I had an affinity with Peter as soon as I met him. Uh, he was like me and, you know, he loved to win. And so did I. I didn't like getting beat, neither did I. And we kind of, the young boys took to us. Mm. I think that's fair. Yeah. And, and I think they were inspired in many ways with us. And, and we passed on, I think, a lot of that, you know, winning does matter, you know, and winning's important and winning's good. And I think the, the young boys grabbed it and liked it. Yeah. And then they, they began to enjoy winning football matches. But they became some, we had some great players, honestly. We, the young players that came through, like, you know, Gary Stevens, Kevin Ratcliffe, Trevor Stevens, Kevin Sheedy. These kind of players, Adrian Heath, these, these were really good players that became great players mm. and very quickly. What was your relationship like with Howard? Very good. How could it not be? I mean, I don't know anyone who who, who didn't get on with Howard. I didn't have a crossword with Howard, I don't think. Uh, my only disappointment I had was when he left me out at um, in the cup semi-final against... Not semi-final, the second, first replay against Gillingham, was it? Yeah. Gillingham. Yeah. When we nearly went out, Yes. actually. Yeah. Tony Cascarino went through with Neville to beat. As usual, Neville saved him. Um, and we drew that. But he'd left me out that day and I was really disappointed because I didn't expect it. So he brought me back in the next game and I played really well. We beat them 3-0 and he never left me out very often after that. But no, I got on great with him. I liked his personality. I liked his man management skills. Um, I liked him a lot. There was no names on the back of the shirts, no squad numbers in those days. So how did you work out who got the number nine jersey? Well, I had it, obviously, at first and then... At the beginning of the season, championship winning season, I got injured um, against Newcastle very early on and Sharpie took the nine and then him and Adrian went on that run of amazing form and Sharpie had the nine and when I got back in the side after his horrendous injury in November I think it was, I went 12 games without a goal uh, with the number eight on my back. And I was hitting the bar, I was hitting the post. We were winning games. The only consolation for me was we were winning games every week. Yeah. Um, and I was contributing, but I wasn't contributing enough because I wasn't scoring goals. And We went to Leicester away. Pivotal game. One of, the, one of the pivotal games in that season. And Graham was injured. So Howard played me and uh, Trevor Stephen, I think. Played Trevor off me. So Sharpie wasn't there, so I took the nine. Scored two goals. 1-2-1. One, I went on a run, Chappie came back in the side, I said, uh uh-uh, sorry Chappie, this is mine, <laughs> you'll take the eight. <laughs> so he had the eight for the rest of the season. Senior as he ruled. Yeah, absolutely. Best partnership, Sharp and Grey? It was certainly our strongest partnership in terms of, you know, strength and what you want centre forward. And aggression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say Sharp and Grey was a different combination to, to Sharp and Heath, which is far more, you know, ball play to feet and a lot more pace about it. But in terms of, you know, in terms of potency and, and winning a single game, as we'll say, um, Sharp and Grey was a great partnership, which is quite unusual, really, because two players with similar attributes yeah. don't tend to be, you know, make for a great partnership. But Sharpie and Grey were, were, were fantastic, you know, during their Everton career. And I think, you know, Grey, great talk. Graham a lot mm. didn't he about the striking arts I think and Graham became a far better player for him and he didn't score on his debut against Nottingham Forest Brenner, but uh, you've been looking into it for us yeah I mean I remember it fairly well I recall I had a bit of a stinking hangover that day and wasn't feeling particularly <laughs> well as I clung to the uh, crash barrier on the terrace part of the uh, Gladys Street 
But yeah, he, he knocked one down. Kevin Sheedy passed it. He knocked down into Adrian Heath's path, and Adrian Heath finished it off. And uh, I remember being excited, you know, so by his debut. But I looked back at the other reports at the time, and I found the Daily Post reports from the following Monday, written by, would you believe, Ian Ross, who later went you know, to work for Everton Football Club. And you could tell immediately how excited people were about Andy Gray, just from the, uh, you know, the, the headline, Gray Lifts Blues. And, uh, and Rossi wrote, what a, difference, what a difference a grey makes. After weeks of Goodison gloom, the clouds finally lifted on Saturday as Everton unveiled their new star, Andy Gray. I think what we also need to point out is that week is one of the most significant weeks in Everton's history. We'd been battered three in the Anfield the previous yeah. Sunday. Yeah. A performance so bad that Ian St. John, who was doing the live television stuff, talked about it being men against boys, and he wasn't wrong. We were awful that day. Yeah. Uh, then in midweek we played commentary we were a goal down eight minutes from time and then scored two late goals to stay alive in the Mill Cup we know how significant that would be and the same week Howard promoted Colin to first team coach and then we signed Andy Gray at the weekend it's like what a week so you know Rossi then goes on the midweek £250,000 signing from struggling Wolves not only proved the inspiration behind the vital and timely one goal win over Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest but contributed to an attendance of 17,546, nearly double the gate for Wednesday's Mill Cup victory. Yeah. <laughs> that just underlines, I suppose, that you know, so how gloomy things were, and also a sign of the times of you know, so how you know, so football crowds were. It sounds daft, yeah. but his his personality rubbed off on people. You know, so his That's an immediate influence, isn't it? Absolutely. Instant influence. If you look at the highlights on YouTube of all the goals from last season, and you look at the celebrations when the goals go in, Look at who's first every time. It's Andy. He's always over there. He's pointing at the player who's scored. He's got his arm round him. He just brought a bit of joy and a bit of zest to a team that was struggling. I gave him confidence because he'd won things. He'd been a big player. Mm-hmm. And he was telling the likes of Sharpie and Trevor Stephen, look, you, you're good players. You can do this. Mm-hmm. And he did. He had such an impact on that squad. And that was clear to see even from the terraces, just watching the way he rubbed off on players around him. Well, Andy was never a prolific goal scorer, was he? But most of his goals were truly memorable. No more so than this one at Notts County in the FA Cup in March 1984. Usual combination, Sheedy takes, and Andy Gray has scored! For a virtually horizontal position, he sent the Everton supporters sky high. The second minute of the second half. Ahead of half volley. <laughs> you don't very often go with Andy Gray you saw it a few times uh, because I don't know he was, he was so good in the air even though he was very decent on the floor as well you know he, was, he struck a ball well and he was like deceptively quick but he was just like so brave for a man of his height he was only about 5'10 wasn't particularly tall uh, but you'd always try and head the ball if he could and it was it was like a ball that was clipped into a, the box on a rain drenched uh, pitch and most people thought he'd try and dive in with his feet, and he didn't. He ran at it with his head, and they left about it on match of the day later that night, saying, you know, so a headed half volley. And it was, it was just a fairly bizarre goal, but typical of Andy, really. The kind, you know, he did things differently. How long did it take Howard to work out his strongest team at that time? Gary? Strongest forward line, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, famously, that the famous team that won the Cup Winners' Cup final at Big Bang, yeah. they only played together 14 times, only started together 14 times, yeah. which is an astonishing statistic. And the injury to Adrian Heath probably just helped Howard, didn't it? Well, it is. I mean, Andy was... I think Andy wanted Andy to play with Graham at the start. I think that was what Howard's plan was. And then Graham got injured when Andy arrived, so... Andy play, ended up playing with, with Adrian 
Uh, and Andy got dropped a couple of times. He got dropped to Gillingham, you know, in the FA Cup yeah. saga yeah. In, in the first game. Howard left them out. And Andy very nearly had an argument that would have <laughs> meant he... Uh, he left the club because he wanted to walk out on Howard you know at the team the team meal and he said he just took a breath for a moment just stood there for a bit and then just walked back into the, the room because he thought if, it, if he walks away now he's never coming back yeah. so it took a bit of time and, and in the end 83-84 Inchy ended up playing in midfield didn't he in the cup final yeah. and then at the start of the following season Andy played with, with Inchy and then Andy got injured and then Brace well came in yeah it? and and then, you know, Graham and Inchi had that great run and then Inchi got injured. So it, it, it was happenstance, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, but I don't yeah. I don't ever think Howard knew mm. who was the best. I think there were certain games where there was probably Graham and, and Andy and other games when there was probably Graham and Inchi and other games when there was Inchi and Andy. Yeah. It depends. It depends. It was all brought different things. That was the main it, thing. It was face. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because like, the first half of that season, the, the Sharpie-Inchi partnership was electrifying. It played some wonderful football. And then when Inchi got injured, everyone thought that was a terrible blow. But that gave the opportunity then for him to play Andy and Sharpie together. Because like you say, I mean, Sharpie put on a transfer request after that season as well. Sharpie didn't start the FA yeah. Cup semi-final against Southampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they, they were both you know, so frustrated at the lack of opportunities they were getting and then when they both got put, put together wow talk about the Bruce Brothers that was a you know, sort of match made in heaven and we had to play a different style didn't we that was yeah. the thing really you know as I say it was bought to feast with Graham and and an agent and that was very much a you know very much high high tempo game and it was slightly different with Graham, Graham and Andy it was still good football but it was slightly occasionally used the long ball a lot more but it was um, two different styles but it in, in themselves they were all great partnerships yeah, and that, that was Howard was very lucky there well so many young players did benefit from the arrival of Andy Gray and despite playing much further back on the pitch Gary Stevens was one of them and Gary really appreciated the immediate impact that we've spoken about that Andy Gray had full, full on Scotsman eh? and quite brave coming into a primarily English uh, dressing room but uh, he was kind of what we needed that, that bravado you know, uh, Andy always talked a good game, but he could play a good game. Uh, and what we obviously loved about him, him and Sharpie up front, that was it must have been a tough centre part. You know, imagine seeing those two muscling up against you. They could play football. Wouldn't have wanted to be a fullback playing against either of them either because uh, they worked so hard. Uh, and obviously, you know, imperious with his head. I mean, you can't score a half volley with your head, can you? <laughs> he can. Not not County away. Yeah. Bloody hell. Um, but I, you know, I'd already met Andy along my footballing way, so um, knew who he was and what he was. I think probably, you know, Howard took a bit of a chance on him, I guess, and uh, God paid off, didn't it? Yeah. He must have loved you because your crossing ability, your ability to launch the ball from a throw-in. Oh, I'm just saying that. Yeah, I wasn't singing my old praises just just seconds ago. I'll repeat myself. Yeah, a couple of uh, helping hands at the um, Bayern Munich game. Bottom corner down there, yeah. yeah. It was uh, deja vu, wasn't it? So two goals in the second half, just to just to get us going, and then finished off with uh, Tricky Trev's third one. Um, yeah, look, I, I'll have a word with him. I don't think I got the plaudits I deserved from him. <laughs> no, I don't no, actually. No, thinking about yeah, it now. Yeah, no. I mean, that's the thing, you know. Uh, you know, big big lights up, naming lights. You know, us fullbacks, we weren't too interested in that kind of thing. We just uh, we just make sure we keep clean sheets. There was some double act him and Reedy, weren't they? They seemed to yeah. sort of pick the club up by the scuff well, of the neck and, and run with it yeah I think the the DNA was there wasn't it you know the DNA for, for a, a very very good team were there but we just needed that last little bit and 
when you see those two in the dressing room, you know, you, you, you're basically leading by example or you're led by examples um, on the pitch. Wouldn't give up, you know, balls, balls were never, they were chased down. Um, there was no such thing as a bad ball. They make a bad ball a good ball. So, uh, yeah, and, and still going, cracking jokes, Reedy. I saw him the other day. Um, Mark Reedy's half-brother, was uh, he lives in lives out in Perth. He was showing me uh, Peter in a nice white suit singing at somebody's birthday party. Not such a good voice, but, you know, he was there. <laughs> some things yeah, never change. Yeah, I know, some things never change. Yeah. Were you sorry to see Andy go? Yeah, I think he, yeah, look. Again, he'd done his bit, I think. Um, Hard to tell exactly what went on, you know, behind closed doors. But uh, yeah, I think we know from from watching the movie that 100% he was he would have stayed. He would have stayed and uh, worked through things. But uh, lots have changed in that in those two three years. So yeah, difficult to tell. But yeah, we, we enjoyed them while we had him. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, by the time the 1984 FA Cup final came along, Everton were really in the groove. Confidence was flowing throughout the team. There was only ever going to be one winner when Kendall's Blues met Elton John's Hornets at Wembley. Stephen again. Gray and Sharp waiting in the centre. And Gray is closing in here. Forest is, is his goal for Everton against Watford at Wembley. Yeah, I don't know whether it's like something in his personality, but you know, when the game really mattered, it just seemed to bring out the best in him. He always gave an absolute hundred percent. You could never, you know, sort of level against him that he tried harder in the big games. He didn't. He just had that that magical knack that only the very, very, very best players have of being able to deliver when it mattered most. And he delivered in an FA Cup final, he delivered in a European Cup Winners' Cup final, mm. he delivered in effectively a title decided at Tottenham that yeah. season. And then there's so many other goals that we'll talk about, no doubt, during that season that were just, like, ridiculous. I mean, we've all got our own personal favourites, but I'll never forget the game against Sunderland that we always like to see on television, the 4-1 game, you know, Reedy crossing it for the diving header in the near post. But the on at the other post... I was at the street end a bit lower down that day and just thought the angle he was at there was no possible way he could get to the ball that was crossed in and when he did and managed to score from it there was this belief that the ball had gone in and people just started laughing because he got to the ball and managed to turn a hopeful cross into a goal he just he just had that stardust yeah he, he, like the best players he bent games to their will you know players do that the very best do they don't they and, and and that Sunderland game, if you remember, we were getting beat one 0 You just yeah. beating Spurs, yeah. and you know. So when we peppered Sunderland for 20, 25 minutes, you just thought, "Oh, this is going to be one of them days." I always remember, you know, obviously two memorable goals. I remember Andy describing his first dive, and that was pretty straightforward. <laughs> Not a lot of players can do that, Andy. As you write the second, yeah. the second header, yeah. which was probably a bit less spectacular in terms of the build-up, was yeah. probably a lot. You know, you can see why he said that was the hard header. Yes, it was. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's hat trick against Sittard. Were you there that night? I was, and uh, there was a proper hat trick, right yeah. foot, left foot header. Yeah. And again, it was just, it was a, a tight game. Sittard 
weren't a great side, uh, but you know the first leg was at Goodison, so it was important to get you know sort of a decent lead. And we battered them in the first half, and they'd gone in goalless at the end. And I think, wow, you know, so we, we need to try and break these down. And then it was a, a shot from outside the box that the goalkeeper spilled, and in true Andy tradition, he went in bravely and managed yeah. to like sort of turn it in with his. I think that one was his, uh, his right, with left foot, was it? And then the header, one of those typical Andy Gray headers, where he could have got his head boosted off, yeah. and he dived in at the far post, uh, in with the defender, the goalkeeper, like sit on the end of Terry Curran's cross, I think it was. And again, it was just like a, a ridiculously brave header, but he did it without even thinking. Yeah. And then the last one was great. I mean, the, the centre half desperately tried to get his hand on the ball to handle it, and you. Could hear the commentator if you watch it again on YouTube saying, Oh, is that a penalty? Didn't matter, the ball bounced up and he leathered it with the left foot, yeah. I think that one was, into the top corner. And it's only Everton hat trick, but it's just in a cup European quarter final. Yeah. Again, big occasion, big goals. Didn't play the return like No, he didn't. That was that was my problem. <laughs> really <laughs> did. Yeah. Uh, Howard, I think that was, Andy gone over and it wasn't planning even to put him in the squad. And when they got over there, I think they'd been at a, a they got over there and, and he thought how how it said to Andy, you know, just go out and have a few drinks with you. Yeah. He enjoyed uh, Dutch hospitality for the day. When he got back to the ground, he discovered through an administrative error that they only had 16 players then, was that they only had 15. So I would have to tell Andy, <laughs> who by this stage was three sheets to the wind. <laughs> <Yeah>. Fully refreshed. <laughs> <laughs> this is just, it's on the bench, at the back of the bench, put your gear on, yeah. but you won't, hopefully, hopefully you won't be getting on. Wow. And if you don't, if you remember, it was absolutely freezing that yeah. night. Yeah. So there was Andy, much to the, you know, much to the joy of everybody <laughs> he was else. Never really needed, was he? Yeah, yeah. Well, as we've mentioned, Andy Gray was very much a big time player. The bigger the occasion, the more he relished the battle, and they didn't come much bigger than April 1985, Goodison Park, Everton against Bayern Munich. It's onside and cleaning at Neville Southall and Hernes off the goalkeeper. There are two on the line for Everton. But Hernes finds a way past them. Gray goes in. Sharp! The perfect start to the second half. And Everton have recaptured the party move. Stevens with another testing long throw. Fast lost it. A goal. Andy Gray. Sheedy. Gray is onside. Played onside by Nagby. Trevor Stephen, it's settled now, Rotterdam, here they come. When I sat down with Andy recently, I asked him if Bayern Munich would be the one game, and he played in loads of big games, the one game that he'd like to play again. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%? 100%. No, not even, I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to think about it. And I played in a lot of big games, lots of finals. That wasn't a final. But I played lots of finals, I played lots of big games, played for my country, but... That night against Bayern Munich was, was just so Everton. Hmm. Everything about it. The build-up, when streets were rammed, hours before kick-off, hours before kick-off, everyone knew it was a special night. And they say there was, what, 54,000 in there? I bet you there was more than that. <laughs> I bet you there was more than that. And when we came out, the noise was always good, the atmosphere, as you know, was always fantastic. But that night, when we came up those steps and hit the, the noise, wow. I mean, I was like, I, I, I was taken aback by it. And uh, we just, you kind of knew, although it was a tough first half and we went in 1-0 down, amazingly 1-0 down, mm. it, was, it was no panic, there was no worry. We thought we were better. And we thought going into the Gladys Street, we'd get one. 
me and you know I managed to have a good night I created two of the goals scored the other one it was a, a really good night for Mr Gray uh, I enjoyed it enormously it was it was sensational sensational it was no night for the faint hearted was it it was not there was a lot of blood around <laughs> you know there was a lot of broken noses but one particular German defender's nose was broken a couple of times but you know um, listen there was no quarter Arsenal given mm. you know they were Bayern Munich yeah. you know they were the ar- ar- aristocrats of European football we were in, all, in real terms rag ass rovers mm. you know we hadn't been there before none of us had been there seen it and done it so you know here was the little upstart coming in you know we weren't going to as was our team and that's our, as our, the way we played we weren't going to sort of stand back and uh, let them just roll us over because they were Bayern Munich oh no 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 I remember Reedy's sock being red by yeah. the end of the night because of the, the cut that he must have cut he had his, his shin and he had to go to hospital mm. so he missed the celebrations <laughs> he was absolutely gutted <laughs> he was gutted but it, no, it was a sensational game wonderful ending great night I think every Evertonian who was there mm. might say it's the best game they've seen yeah. Barry and Gav where do we start? Yeah, we have a whole, a whole series of podcasts, yeah. couldn't we, about yeah. the Bayern Munich game? But again, it's about how Andy could bend games to as well, because we obviously get beat one nil at half time, and you wanted Andy on the pitch there. I mean, as much as Adrian Eves actually your favourite Everton player, but I think inching Sharpie in the side off would have been a different thing. And, and it was yeah. Andy's physical presence, wasn't it? Yeah. And that experience, huge experience that he had, that made a difference. Yeah, them, and they were scared of him before the game. They said yeah. that that you know he's, he's the one to watch. And I know a few people, probably not without some justification, said he probably went over the top on occasions. Yeah. And he turned around and said, "It is a European semi-final against you know the best one of the best teams in Europe. What do you expect?" Do you think it helped that he didn't play in the first leg? Probably, yeah, yeah. I think that was On good reflection. psychology by by Howard, maybe, and I think there was tactical reasons for that. But his game was his tie was the ninety minutes of Goodison, and perhaps he probably probably say that he, you know that he, he could give it, give his all in that game as a consequence. But yeah, he 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 was the he's still I think for me the pivotal figure in that game. I think if yeah. you take Andy out of that game, yeah. it wouldn't have been anywhere near as memorable a case. No, they gave as good as they got, didn't they, by Munich? Oh, absolutely. Just look at Reedy's uh, sock yeah. being you know, sort of blood drenched and you know, sort of just stuffing a sponge down it to carry on. Argentala was a, a real top class, you know, sort of international centre half, and he was robust. He was physical, and Andy just wasn't having it. Look at stay on the pitch because like Argentala had gone through the back of him and he reacted and he swung yeah. a foot round uh, and to, to hit him in retaliation, unfortunately missed. Um, and so you know, even then, where you got away with an awful lot more, you know, so it might have been a sending off. But you five aside that now, exactly, yeah. You know, he, he stayed on, and then yeah, you, you wanted him on the pitch in a game like that because he, he just terrified them. When you, when you look back on that period, and I look back on that period in my life, and, and football was a real tonic. I, I I went to the Bayern Munich game. I was unemployed at the time. I paid a fiver for my tickets outside the game, um, outside the stadium. And an old guy spotted me clearly looking for the tickets, and he. he his mates had let him down I got it for a fiver all I had was been bus fare home couldn't go for a pint or anything and I put it to Andy when I spoke to him that, that life on Merseyside in the mid 80s was hardly a bed of roses for a lot of people and, and, and I asked him if he was aware and his colleagues were aware of the importance of football at the time to the city and of evident success funny enough I, I didn't realise how bad it was living in Liverpool when I came and it was only when I got involved with Howard's Way mm-hmm. when we made the film yeah um that I, I realised then the state, some of the states that the city was in yeah. and, and, and how it was fighting with the government and everything like this and Absolutely. Derek Hatton was very much to the fore and that 
And I, it was only when I watched Towers Way that I realised, wow, so that was going on in the city. Obviously, with me living in sort of form base, mm. I, yeah, I didn't come across it a lot, you know, but it was it was unbelievable. Yeah, and it, it was a release, wasn't it? Forever Tony is to come and actually watch their team play well and know that their team are going to win most games. Yeah, That's the key, isn't it? Yeah. Knowing you were yeah. going to win. You were like that in the dressing room, weren't you? looking around thinking, we're going to win this season. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you looked around that dressing room and there was no one, no one in the dressing room that you didn't want to be there. You know, sometimes you might get one or two where you think, nah, I'd, get, I'd change him. But no, I wouldn't have changed any of our boys, now. The schedule just caught up with us, didn't it, last knock in? A little, a little. Um, I, 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 I hate offering it up as an excuse because I always argue tiredness is a state of mind as much as anything. But I do think that um, the schedule, uh, the ridiculous uh, ask mm. of us to play uh, FA Cup final and a European final within three days of each other was ridiculous and would never happen now. No. It would never happen now. And we had to do that. And... And we still had a Merseyside derby to play as well. And a Merseyside derby. <laughs> we, we managed to win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we managed to win. But no, that, that was... That was just... That was too big an ask. Mm. You know, to go to Rotterdam, come back two days later. Well, you get back in the middle of the night on the Thursday. So you're back in the early hours of Thursday morning. You're Friday at home, and then you you got to go. You, know, you don't have Friday at home. You're Friday in London yeah. in a hotel, yeah. and then you're playing a FA Cup final against Man United. I mean, it's it's a not it was a nonsense at the time, but you just got on with it and accepted it. But it did catch up with us. We were better than Manchester United that year. I know you'd have liked to have stayed at Everton a yeah. lot longer, but when you look back and when you meet Evertonians and when you come back to the city as you are now, you, you I hope you're very proud of the contribution that you made. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud of the contribution I made. Um, I'm extremely proud of the fact that I was a member of that side, that group, who achieved what it achieved in such a short time. Um, our, our rise from obscurity to the, the top was spectacular. Mm. I mean, spectacular. Mm. And for every Evertonian, it must have been such a, a wonderful ride. I know it was for us. We enjoyed it. No, I'm, 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 I'm proud of, of part of it. I'm privileged. Uh, I was part of it. Um, such a glorious club, you know, to be part of the only team that ever won a European title. I'd hate saying it because it's not enough for Everton, but that's that's something that everyone who played in that game or was involved that night can be very proud of. Um, and it, it's you know, it, it was great. I can't. Uh, I can't. I was here eighteen months, twenty months, and I think Evertonians think more about me than probably any other team I played for mm. and that's that's a measure about how we thought for each other yeah yeah definitely. and I felt that with them I felt it was an affinity as soon as I got here and and they did the same with me and it's it's perfectly true Gav isn't it life in the mid 80s in this city for some people was, was quite difficult and for a lot of people footy kept us going well yeah it? and um, as Prano alluded to there that you know you know 17,000 for the league game was considered a decent attendance when we've been getting 13 or 14,000. And those are the times when Liverpool, I mean, that 83 84 season, Liverpool won three trophies. Their average attendance at Anfield was 31,000. Yeah. You know, and it was very and it was very much probably worse for Everton because Liverpool supporters in the city had the success to hang on to for Liverpool for, you know, 15 years. With, with Everton, it was the opposite, wasn't it? We'd had no, no success. We'd been. You know, right or wrong, the figures are fun in the city because of the, the lack of trophies, and and I think that rebirth under under Howard, you know, and Andy and, and and Colin, you know, 
was, was a big turning point for a lot of people, as, mm-hmm. you know, for their well-being as much as yeah, much as anything else. And Andy, Andy was a great, great, great figurehead for that because he obviously enjoyed it, didn't he? He mm-hmm. looked at him as a leader. I, I always think that you know the game that sums him up for me is not necessarily the buying game; it's the Leicester game where we really so we, we played less than a February it was us and Spurs going for the title and Andy Andy had not Andy had, had a real bad goal trout and I think somebody said to him before the game you know said Andy you know, you know what about the goals are you having he said no goals out here mate sharp you've got 21 goals between us this season <laughs> which Andy's was one goal in 18 <laughs> games you know and Martin Tyler said to him before the game you know Andy you've got a goal trout but you're on, you're on 98 league goals in England by the way and Andy had scored, I'd say, one goal in 18 games, I think. And as we know, Andy scored two goals. You know, Leicester equalised just near the end for a very dotty offside decision. And there's that, man, you know, it's Andy for you, isn't it? When Andy Stent goes up the other end after Leicester yeah. just scored, equalised, scores the winner. And there's the memorable thing, it's not a match of the day, you're pointing at the line. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, just thought, I wouldn't want to run. Oh, okay, with Andy there, you know. I, I and I was into the post. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Knocking himself out. You just see the goal shaking after Andy's <laughs> running into it. And that, that for me, if you wanted a game that summed Andy up as an individual, not necessarily as the team during that period, it's that, it's that Leicester game because he's under pressure, the team's under pressure, and he delivers. And he delivers at exactly the right time, and that was his Evan Crane off to his You touched on it before, very briefly, Pernod, but we won the league at a canter, 84 85. The Tottenham game at White yeah. Hot Lane was pivotal. And also, Sheffield Wednesday away, where exactly. Andy famously stood at the front of the coach and said, We ain't losing here today. Exactly, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, you look at the league table and you think, and the fact that we lost the last two games because, you know, we didn't need to win them. We won it at a canter, but up until you know, so beginning of April maybe it was really, really tight. Yeah. And Tottenham were yeah. on our you know, so heels the whole time. And uh, yeah, it was a huge game at White Hart Lane. And like you say, the bigger the game, that the more he delivered. And you know, we're talking about it being this like sort of buccaneering centre forward that got on the end of headers. It was on a full volley from the edge of the box, yeah. just absolutely connected so sweetly. Um, so yeah, he delivered just when it mattered most. And, and what you were saying about uh, the city being in a you know sort of a real state of decay at the time, it was. I mean, only this week, or sorry, last week, I went to see Boys from the Blacks that was on again at the Royal Court, which is you know a great you know sort of show revived forty years later. And it was good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it also brought home like sort of memories of how bleak it had been. You know, still living in the city at that time, and how the city was basically on its uppers, and how we relied on our football team to bring us a ray of sunshine into our life. And people like that did. And you know, so Andy with his beaming smile and his uh, sadly he hasn't got them anymore, but his long flowing golden locks. <laughs> you know, he was. He was. Uh, he was, he was a massive thing. Was he? He was aggressive. He was passionate. He clearly loved the football club. I mean, you know, when you speak about the big games that Andy scored in, bizarrely, I, in my opinion, the Rapid Vienna goal is often overlooked simply because there was just an element of a foregone conclusion. That wasn't a big game. We just only <laughs> had to get out of the way, wasn't it? Oh, the back pass might come to Sharp. He's got Andy Gray in there. It's the goal! We didn't realise it at the time, Gav, as we celebrated the win our first European trophy but with regards to the Andy Gray Evans story that was just about it wasn't it? <laughs> it was yeah and I think there was a the, what had happened obviously in the summer uh, Howard I think Howard had been affected by the, the cup final against Man United where we've spoken about you know Inchi, Graham and Andy Gray bring and a lot a lot of different things to the team but Inchi was injured obviously and I think it was an notable lack of pace that we had up front I think in, in the cup final at Wembley and I think Howard, Howard's 
identified that and as well as improving the team he, you know he might, obviously he, he looked at Lineker when in she was injured I think he wanted to sign Lineker then um, and he'd obviously hired him for, for the year and he thought that you know Gary was an ideal you know ideal for what, they, what he wanted and, and so he bought it and then the prop bought him and then the problem they then had he then had Graham Angie Adrian then Gary Lineker and he'd also bought Paul Wilkinson yeah. in, in, in yeah. the previous season so we had five strikers effectively looking for two places so one of them had to go and I think you know having signed Gary that was obviously not the case and Paul had just signed the, the season Andy was with his age and stuff and, and his, fitness, his fitness record was probably the one who was who was most at risk through Gary Gary's signing You mentioned fake before Prano if we were allowed to go into the European Cup a, a European campaign Howard would probably have kept Andy, wouldn't he? I think Andy said that himself, hasn't he? He said that, yeah, if we'd have been in Europe and we'd have needed a bigger squad, you could probably have made a case for, you know, sort of keeping him in the squad. If only for his impact on the other players, you know, in the dressing room and the fact that he would have got, you know, sort of a handful of games which, you know, his fitness could probably have handled because you look at it dispassionately and it's difficult to do with Andy because he was like such a passionate footballer. But dispassionately, it was probably the right decision at the right time, given what Gary Lineker did the following season, given what Andy did subsequently at Aston Villa. You know, so his career never reached those like sort of peaks again that it had at Everton. But if we'd have been in Europe, yeah, you could have kept him. You could have played cameo appearances, and yeah. uh, you could have had that impact around the, around the place. But unfortunately, we weren't in Europe, were we? So you know, Howard had to make that decision, which he did, which he did. Yeah, I think also we missed him the end of the following season. We talked about his inspiration and his yeah. presence. I think at the end of the eighty-five, eighty-six campaign was obviously neck and neck with Liverpool. I think near the end of the season, when we needed a little bit of inspiration, people were tired. I think Andy, say if Andy being on the bench in the eighty-six cup final, yeah, yeah. and in a few of the league yeah. games, which had he stayed, he would have been. He would have been, yeah, yeah. I think he would have seen a different end to that season because I think yeah. Andy's inspiration and presence would have made enormous difference to the team it, it was great when we played Aston Villa away wasn't it in 1987 I think when, yeah. uh, when Andy played for them we were on the brink of clinching the title and um, I'm not exaggerating more than 10,000 Evertonians went to Villa Park because we absolutely filled the Witten end behind the goal but I was in the south stand that day and the south stand was virtually full of Evertonians and I was like quite close to the front of it and Andy was playing for Aston Villa that day and the ovation he got from the Amazon fans was astonishing. He's playing for Aston Villa against us on the brink, brink like you were on the verge of clinching a league title, and he just got this like ridiculous ovation from the Everton supporters. And yeah, we won the game. She'd scored with a cracker down the, uh, I think it was the the whole ten, was it? To, to our right, anyway. You know, and it was. It was just a, a, a great, great day, and it also underlined, you know, so how. You know, so much he was still thought of by the Evertonians. You know, this was like uh, you know a couple of years later. You know, so after he'd gone, yeah, he still absolutely adored him. Yeah. He'd also wrote a very nice letter to the Echo, hadn't he, when he left? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, which I think spoke volumes. Not many players do that. I know it's easy to do that when you've just yeah. won a couple yeah. of trophies and stuff. But um, I think Andy, it, it was reciprocated, wasn't it, with Andy? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I think Andy probably thought if he probably thought his career was coming to a close he'd been relegated with Wolves yeah, yeah, yeah. you know he was injury prone you know he's probably thinking his time had passed by the time he come to Everton so he's lots to be thankful though we're obviously a lot to be thankful for Andy but he's got a lot, lot of, you know a lot to be yeah. thankful for Everton for rejuvenating his career well after the game was 87 let's push it on a decade Gav how close did Andy Gray get to becoming the manager <laughs> of Everton football did, did, what happened yeah, yeah well that's another series of podcasts <laughs> isn't it you know <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, what says behind closed doors? What people think of conversations? He'd obviously spoken, I think, to, to Peter Johnson, I think, well, um, and you know about being being the manager. I think what Johnson's verdict was of the conversation, what Andy's verdict of the conversation, were two completely different things. I think Andy thought, "Oh, I've not been offered the job. I, you know, see what happens." Doing interviewing other people, I think. Possibly I haven't thought, you know, we're giving them the job and we know how that panned out and uh, I think it was a, probably one of life's great missed, missed opportunities, wasn't it? Andy in the dugout would have been... Uh, one of life's contracts. great mysteries as well, I think, yeah. that to remain so. Well, as I've said a couple of times, I met up with Andy down at the new stadium recently and I tell you what, he's very, very impressed with how it's coming along. Sensational. Looks beautiful and it's only half built. Um, but you can see it, it's there, you can see the outline, you can see how it's going to be when the seats are in and everything that are in um, it will be a magnificent stadium beautiful setting right on the banks of the Mersey a beautiful setting um, if I was a player now I'd, I'd say to him we've met a couple of the lads today James Tarkowski and Dwight McNeil I was just saying to him I, I'm, I'm just envious of you mm. in about 18 months time probably less they'll be running out there you know playing it will, it will be magnificent I can't wait just finally Andy we're losing Goodison Park if somebody said to you just give us one memory. What's your one abiding memory of Goodison Park? What would you tell them? Wow, one abiding memory of Goodison Park. What did it mean to you? What does it mean to you? It meant everything to me. I think that you can, you can, it's difficult to take one abiding memory. Mm. I have lots of great memories of Goodison Park. Uh, the first time I ran out, um, the nights, we special nights we had. Don't just by a minute, but then the, the night we were champions, we beat Liverpool. One nil, I think one of the last games of the season. It meant nothing. It might have been my last game for Everton. Yeah. It might have been. And Wilkie scored. Paul Wilkinson scored, and it might have been my last game for Everton because I was sold in the summer. And so you know, those are all special memories. It's difficult when you've had so many. Yeah. That to pick out one. Sunderland game was a cracker, wasn't Sunderland, it? Sunderland, I scored some lovely goals, and Sunderland was unbelievable. Two of the best headers I ever scored. It was a fantastic day. One one nil down and absolutely battered them. That, that, that was the team. That was the team. And you see some of the goals that we scored that day, you know, the build-up play, what other players did. I mean, I just finished them off. It was the lads who contributed everything to it. Now, there's too many memories for me to, to give you one. Um, I would say that my, my best memory was signing and my saddest day was leaving. Frano, it, it, it's just a shame he wasn't with us longer, but... And, and the listeners will know because it's coming across crystal clear. We didn't often enjoy him, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, there's this mad thing, isn't there, where people say that, you know, to, to be a legend, you have to fit certain criteria. Seamus mentioned it this week, Seamus Carlton, because he hasn't won a trophy, he can't be a legend, which is nonsense. Yeah. Because if people are going to tell me Bob Latchford is not a legend, Dave Hickson is not a legend, I would argue with you till I'm blue in the face. Yeah. Pun entirely intended. And, uh, you know, so Andy was here five minutes and won virtually. Well, he did win everything. Uh, you know, so, well, League Cup accepted, but, you know, so he won virtually everything with us in a short period of time. And the impact he had, you know, so on that football team and that football club was immense. So, yeah, he's a legend in my eyes and always will be. And a legend that we loved, absolutely loved. He just, you know, something about him just, you know, sort of stirs your heart. Just a great footballer and, a, you know, sort of a great Evertonian. Uh, one of my all-time favourites. I just love it, Gav. The, the ratio of games and goals scored to the level of affection is is probably unique. 
it's disproportionate, isn't it? There's 68 games, was it 22 goals? Never lost when he scored, by the way, yeah. which you wouldn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, um, he probably knew that, didn't he? Whenever he scored, he probably said, We ain't losing Yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think you can't, can't quantify it. It's just, uh, it helps that he's a centre forward. Yeah. And we love our centre forwards. I think it also helps, although you say you'd like him here longer, sometimes it's good just to have that short. Sharp period, just a brief love yeah. affair. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, a pop group making one good album, and that's it. That's all they ever made, isn't it? Really. Andrew Mullen Gray started his football life with the Clydebank Strollers. Later played for Dundee United, Aston Villa twice, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Notts County, West Brom, Glasgow Rangers, and Cheltenham Town. He won twenty caps for his beloved Scotland, but I doubt any group of supporters hold him in higher esteem than the Evertonians. Andy Gray, forty years. After you wore our jersey for the very first time, we salute you. Do you know, I, 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 um, when I left Everton, I was blown away by the response and the disappointment in me leaving. And I'd never had that before in my career. So when I went back to Birmingham and I said I'd never had the chance to say thank you to anyone at Everton, so I wrote this letter to the Echo of Palabells, Ken Rogers at the Echo, and asked him if he would print it and he did and it was it was quite simple it's only short if I read it to you just said my dear friends and I trust we shall remain so I received so many letters and cards from you all after my departure that I felt I must write to thank you all I have never felt so moved or humbled as I did when your cards started to arrive I thought the supporters and I were close but you don't realise how close I have so much to thank you all for over the last two seasons and I'm proud to have been part of the Everton revival. Everton will always be a special place for me as it gave me two of the happiest years of my life. All I basically want to say is thanks for the memories. You, the fans, Howard, Colin, Mick, Terry, Clinks for putting up with me and the best bunch of lads I have ever worked with. God bless you all, forever your mate. <laughs> 